If you have a copy of the Word of God with you tonight, we're turning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, please, and the verse 23. The Gospel by Matthew, chapter 22, and the verse 23. I want to thank Bill for his kind words of welcome. Lovely to be with you in the Grange today and have this opportunity of ministering the Word of God, as I said this morning. It was lovely to be present at Peter and Lucy's wedding on Wednesday last, and we wish them God's richest blessing in the days that lie ahead. They're starting their married life. Uh, We begin uh, our 51st year of marriage this week. In fact, 50 years ago this week, we were married in the old Free Presbyterian Church in Balamina, and the Reverend Willie McRae tied the knot, and well, thank God the knot's still holding fast. But it's lovely to be with you this evening. I heard the story of this old couple and they'd been married like us for 50 years. And the husband, he thought that he would do something uh, nice for his wife. And so he invited his friends and family out to a dinner function one night. They were all gathered, family and friends. And after the meal was over, he thought that he would say something nice to his wife. And so he stood up and he said, I just want to say to you, dear, that after 50 years, I, I found you tried and true. She was a wee bit hard of hearing. She said, eh? He said, after 50 years, I found you tried and true. Why, there was a sharp expression came across her face as she stood to her feet and said, after 50 years, I'm tired of you too. (laughs) Well, I I hope that you don't feel like that this evening. But it's lovely to be with you and to have this opportunity of ministering the word of the Lord. And we're turning tonight to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22 and verse 23. And we trust that as Peter and Lucy come back in the will of God, that they might know the Lord's blessing upon them here in the work of Grange. We constantly remember them and you in prayer and trust that God's blessing might be upon them in the days that lie ahead. Matthew 22 and the verse 23, maybe before we read God's word, we could just bow in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for the wonderful love of the Lord Jesus. We thank you tonight for the love that drew salvation's plan, the grace that brought it down to man, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. We thank you, Lord, tonight for those of us who have been to the cross. and We have tasted and have seen that the Lord is good. We thank you, our Father, tonight for that moment in our life's experience when we came to the Savior, weary, worn, and sad, and found in Christ a resting place. And the Savior made us glad. But, Lord, we pray for those in the gathering tonight, and they're still unseen. And they're still unwashed. And they're still undone in their sin. Lord, they're nearer hell tonight than ever they've been before. We pray, O God, that you might be pleased to work in their soul tonight. And to draw them to the Savior. To that end, we pray, O God, tonight, that you would fill the preacher with the Holy Ghost. And our Father, that the gospel will be preached tonight. Not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. Lord, we look to thee. We need thy help. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, please. And the verse 23. Matthew 22 and the verse 23. 
The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. They denied the resurrection. And they asked him, saying, Master Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first one he had married a wife deceased, and having an issue, having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. There's a lesson there for believers, isn't there? If we want to know the power of God, we need to know the Scriptures. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. But when the Pharisees had heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. When the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ, whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Look at the question in verse 42 that I want to leave with you tonight. It's a very simple question, isn't it? What think ye of Christ? And so there is but one question that I want to leave with you this evening. As we bring our meeting to a close, the question is this. What think ye of Christ? The Lord Jesus himself threw down the challenge. He threw down this question. And upon the answer to this question, our whole eternity depends in Jesus Christ, deity and humanity met and merged. In Christ, God stepped off his throne to deal forever with the age-long mystery of iniquity. What think ye of Christ? want you to notice tonight that it is an unequivocal question. What think ye of Christ? Christ didn't say to these Pharisees, What say ye of Christ? You see, a person can say many good things about Christ and yet not be a Christian. Speech is the external thing, but the thoughts of the heart are internal. What think ye of Christ? I mean, there are so many deluded souls in our land tonight. And they never think at all. They say, I let the preacher think for me. I let the pastor think for me. I let the priest think for me. I let the church think for me. My dear friend, don't leave your thinking toward others. Think for yourself. 
It's an unequivocal question. You'll notice again if you look at it, it's a personal question. What think ye of Christ? What do you think of Christ? When we pass through the pages of the New Testament, we find several responses to this question. Caiaphas, you were the high priest in the time of the Lord Jesus. What do you think of Christ? Well, we read Caiaphas' responses in just a few chapters later. He says concerning the Lord Jesus, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witness? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. Caiaphas, what do you think of Christ? What's your opinion of Jesus Christ? I think that Jesus Christ is a blasphemer because of what he said. Pilate, you were the Roman governor of Judea. In the time of the Lord Jesus, what do you think of Christ? I find in Him no fault at all. And you, Judas, you who walk with Christ for over three years, you who saw Christ perform all His miracles and saw and heard His messages, have you any serious charge to hurl against the Son of God? No, rather I've sinned and I've betrayed the innocent blood. And yet, although right in what they said, both Pilate and Judas rejected the Savior. Peter, you walked with the Master. You followed Him from Galilee down the Jordan Valley into the city of Jerusalem. You followed Christ for three years or more. What do you think of Christ? Oh, He's the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. My friend, tonight, let me ask you with heartfelt concern. What do you think of Christ personally? What do you think of Christ individually? You see, this is an unequivocal question. This is a personal question. Look again. This is a critical question. This question tonight is of supreme importance. Because what we think of Christ will determine what we do with Christ. And what we do with Christ will determine what Christ does with us. I want you to notice tonight the question is not, uh, what do you think of the church? This question has nothing to do with the church. It's all to do with Christ. You'll notice again, this question is not, what do you think of baptism? There is not a word here about immersion. It's all about Jesus Christ. The question is not, what do you think of this service? This service may be important, but it peels into insignificance when compared with Jesus Christ. The question is not, what do you think of religion? You could be all rolled up in religiosity and die and go to hell. The question tonight is not, what do you think of the preacher? You may not like the preacher, but if the preacher tells you about Christ, you should get your eye upon Christ. The question has to do with Jesus Christ. Oh, that we could get this over to you tonight. It's Christ that matters. What think ye of Christ? Think well of Him. Trust Him as your Savior and heaven awaits you. Reject Him and hell from beneath will open up for you. What Think you of Christ. What's your opinion tonight of the Messiah? I want to look at this question along a few lines tonight. Here's the first thing. What do you think of Christ's virgin birth? 
Was it not miraculous? You know, the Bible says, this very gospel says, for that which is conceived in her, Mary, is of the Holy Ghost. This is what we call the reality of Christ's virgin birth. My friends, tonight when we speak of the virgin birth of Christ, we simply mean that the Lord Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of his mother Mary without the agency, without the intervention of a human father. What a miracle this was. The Lord Jesus was conceived in the womb of the virgin. In the Hebrew letter it says, Christ says, A body hast thou prepared me. You see, Adam was given a body directly by God without a man or a woman. Eve got her body from the man. Cain and Abel got their bodies from a man and a woman. The Lord Jesus got his body through a woman by the power of the Holy Spirit without the intervention of a man. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, of course, tonight the virgin birth of Christ is not without its critics and scoffers. Years ago, there was an old Methodist minister called Donald Soper. He died in 1998. And he couldn't accept the fact that Christ was without sin. He couldn't accept the fact that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. He couldn't accept the fact that the Lord Jesus was virgin born. Soper said, it is not necessary to believe that Jesus was born in a supernatural manner. He does not come to us from another world in a supernatural way. Dr. Weatherhead, another Methodist minister, wrote in his book, The Christian Agnostic, that Mary was no virgin, that she was a temple prostitute, that the Lord Jesus was born as an illegitimate child as a result of physical relations between Mary and the priest Zacharias. Do you see what the modernists are saying? They're saying that God is a liar. They're saying that the prophets are phony. They're saying that Mary was an adulteress. They're saying that Christ was born out of wedlock. They're saying that the Bible is a joke. They're saying that we sinners are without hope. We are here to affirm tonight that the virgin birth of Jesus Christ was a sinless birth. It was a supernatural birth. It was a special birth. It was a miraculous birth. But you know, the Bible not only sets before us the reality of Christ's virgin birth, it sets before us the reason for Christ's virgin birth. Why did God himself have to come? Why did there have to be a virgin birth? Well, Matthew himself tells us, the Bible says, Thou shalt call this name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Sin tonight is the problem, but blood is the solution. There, see, there is a remedy for sin tonight, and it's a blood sacrifice. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood, and it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. But not just any blood will do. For just as in a blood transfusion, the blood must be pure, it must be clean. Likewise, the blood that atones for sin, it must be sinless blood, it must be spotless blood, that it might be saving blood. You know something tonight? The only person in all of history whose blood can cleanse sin, whose blood can atone for sin is Christ. John says the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. What can wash away my stain? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's why the Lord Jesus had to be virgin born. My friend, tonight, if you and I deny the virgin birth of Christ, we will have to go on and deny the sinless life of Christ. For the virgin birth is the only explanation of a sinless life. And if you deny the sinless life of Christ, you will go on to deny the atoning sacrifice of Christ. For the Redeemer of mankind needs to be sinless. And if you deny the atoning sacrifice of Christ, ye are still in your sins. But bless God tonight, the Son of God became the Son of Man, that the sons of men might become the children of God. Now, what think ye of Christ? What do you think about His virgin birth? Was it not miraculous? Here's the second question. What do you think of Christ's virtuous life? Was it not stupendous? Do you know what the Bible says about Christ? The Bible says he knew no sin. The Bible says he did no sin. The Bible says in him was no sin. You know one of our all-time favorite expressions when we mess up, when we do wrong, when we sin, we say, well, no one is ever perfect. This is the question, have you ever met a perfect person? I heard about a preacher who raised this question one night to his congregation, not expecting an answer. And to his surprise, a little woman in the back seat raised her hand. And he says, Mrs. Jones, have you ever met a perfect person? She said, yes, sir, I have. The preacher said, well, who might that be? She said, my husband's first wife. Well, I've met a perfect person tonight, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, he never thought sin. He never wrought sin. He never taught sin. He never caught sin. He lived 33 years on this earth. He was sinlessly perfect. He was perfectly sinless. He was untainted by the fault of sin. He was untarnished by the flaw of sin. He was untouched by the finger of sin. You know, the Lord Jesus asked a question during His ministry. That no other human being could ever ask or else you and I would be embarrassed. You know the question that he asked? He said, which of you convinceth me of sin? Who is there among you that convicts me of sin? Who did convict the Lord Jesus of sin? His best friends couldn't convict him of sin. John, who was close to the Lord Jesus, said, in him is no sin. Peter said that he was a lamb without blemish and without spot. Christ's best friends, those who followed him from Galilee, right down the Jordan Valley, right into the city of Jerusalem, those who worked and ministered with Christ for over three years, they knew that he was the sinless, spotless Son of God. His best friends couldn't convict him of sin. Listen, his bitter enemies couldn't convict him of sin. Pontius Pilate said, I find in him no fault at all. Judas who betrayed him said, I have sinned, I have betrayed the innocent blood. The centurion who stood at the foot of the cross looked at the Calvary and said, Certainly this was a righteous man. His best friends couldn't convict him of sin. His better foes could not convict him of sin. I'm here tonight to tell you that his blessed father didn't convict him of sin. 
You know, my dear friends, God the Father said something about Christ that he couldn't say about anyone else. Up until Christ came, God looked at the world. And he looked at the world and he said, There's none that doeth good, no, not one. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet, when the Savior came, when the Savior stepped out of heaven onto earth, the Father said at the beginning of his ministry, the end of his ministry, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Let me ask you tonight, if his best friends couldn't convict him of sin, if his, ble- if his better enemies couldn't convict him of sin, if his blessed father couldn't convict him of sin, tell me tonight, what fault can you ca- find in God's sinless, spotless son? What abuse tonight can you hurl at God's spotless lamb? What blemish tonight can you find in the impeccable Savior? What? What do you think of Christ, sir? Can you say tonight with Peter, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Is your testimony tonight that of Thomas, my Lord and my God? How can men fail to see that Jesus Christ is deity? Behold what mighty deeds he's done. Do they not say he's God's own Son? What do you think of Christ? What do you think of his virgin birth? Was it not miraculous? What do you think of his virtuous life? Was it not stupendous? Let me go a step further. What do you think tonight of his vicarious death? Was it not efficacious? Did it not produce the desired effect? The death of Jesus Christ tonight is sufficient to meet God's demands and man's need. You see, this one who was perfect God and perfect man, this one who was fully God and fully man, died. And his death was unique. It was substitutionary. He said, Ellis, tonight, what do you mean by the vicarious death of Jesus Christ? I simply mean that he died in our stead. He died in our room. Peter put it like this. Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for us, the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You see, my dear friends, if death results from sin and Christ never sinned, the only explanation for his death was this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. Let's stand for a moment tonight under the shadow of Calvary. Let's count the purple drops of blood that flow from his head, his hands, his feet, his side. Can you see the Savior on Calvary's cross? Soon his tongue cleaves to the roof of of his mouth. Soon the agonies of God are upon him. Soon that blanket of darkness surrounds the cross. And the Lord Jesus Christ cries, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Tell me tonight now, what do you think of Christ? What do you think of the wounds of Christ? Are they like glittering jewels in your eyes? What do you think of the blood of Christ? Is it precious to you? What do you think of the cross of Christ? Can you sing tonight, it was it for me, for me alone? The Savior left his glorious throne. The dazzling splendor of the sky. Was it for me he came to die? Was it for me he bowed his head upon the cross and freely shed the precious blood, the crimson tide? Was it for me the Savior died? Bless God tonight I can say it was for me. It was for this poor lost guilty sinner that Christ endured the cross that he despised the shame, that he bore the pangs of hell. Tell me tonight, now what do you think of Christ? What do you think of his virgin birth? 
Was it not miraculous? What do you think of his virgin, of his virtuous life? Was it not stupendous? What do you think of his vicarious death? Was it not efficacious? Let me go a step further tonight. What do you think of his victorious resurrection? Was it not glorious? You know, every other religion of the world tonight can point to a founding father but they can also point to his grave. Only Christianity tonight, only the gospel tonight, points to an empty tomb and says, our founder is alive. All the millions of Jews tonight who look to Abraham, the father of the Jewish race, and all the Muslims tonight and all the Buddhists tonight agree that their founder is dead. They have never come out of the dust in resurrection, but we affirm tonight that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is history. That this thing actually literally happened. That the precious body of the Lord Jesus that was reverently laid in that cool grave on the evening of the 3rd of April, A.D. 30, literally vacated that tomb before 6 o'clock the following Sunday morning, April the 5th, for us. It is as literal and factual as that. This and nothing less. This and nothing else. Is what we mean by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you tonight. What do you think of Christ? You see being born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. Living a sinless life he died an atoning death. But having died an atoning death. The proof positive that God accepted that payment for sin. Was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says... He was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification. The resurrection was God's indication that he was fully satisfied with the work of his son and up from the grave he arose. The Buddhist who was gloriously saved was asked why he changed. Well, he said it's like this. If you were walking along the road one day and you came to a fork in the road and two men were there. One was dead and the other was alive. Whose direction would you follow? Sinner friend, listen to me tonight. Before you, there is a choice. You can follow the dead. But there's no, new, there's no reason to follow a loser. Jesus Christ has conquered death. Do you know why he's able to save tonight? Because he, he ever lives. He ever lives. You go to the city of Jerusalem tonight. You look at that empty tomb. There's no one there. The tomb tonight is empty. The throne is filled. Christ is risen. I want to tell you tonight that he's able to save you. He's able to take you from the depths of hell. He's able to put you on the road to heaven. Your skeptics have gone through heaven and told us there's no gold there. They've gone through hell and told us there's no fire there. They've gone through Christ and told us there's no God there. They've gone through the grave and told us there's no resurrection there. But we believe tonight, he arose, he arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. Now, sir, madam... What do you personally think of Christ? What do you think of his virgin birth? 
Was it not miraculous? What do you think of his virtuous life? Was it not stupendous? What do you think of his vicarious death? Was it not efficacious? What do you think tonight of his victorious resurrection? Was it not glorious? What do you think tonight of his visible return? Will it not be illustrious? You see, the Bible says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Do you know something tonight? The second advent of Jesus Christ makes Christianity unique. History says tonight, look back. Scientists says, look around. Philosophy says, look in. The gospel says, look up. For this very same Jesus who died on a rugged cross... Outside the city of Jerusalem and Gordon's Calvary, he not only died for our sins, he not only rose again, he's coming to the world again. My friends tonight, listen, the king is coming. The signs all seem to say his coming is not far away. Rejoice, he saints, he may come today. He's bound to come, the king is coming. He's coming to the air at the rapture, he's coming to the earth at the revelation. What if he came tonight? What if he came now? You know, I have the privilege of being brought up in a Christian home. From earliest days, I heard about the coming of the Lord. I heard that when the Lord comes, some would be taken and some would be left. And I remember at times my dad and mom being out and they said they would back, be back at a certain time and perhaps they were detained and they weren't back at a certain time. And you know, my dear friends, I thought the Lord had come and I thought that I was left and I thought that I was lost and I thought that I was damned and doomed for all eternity. What if Christ came tonight? What if he came now? Would your dad and mom be taken? Would you be left behind? Would your wife be taken? Your children? Would you be left behind? Would your husband be taken? Would you be left behind? Father, mother, would your saved children be taken? Would you be left behind? Are you still not saved? Have you never repented of your sin and placed your faith in the Christ of God who was born miraculously, lived perfectly, died vicariously, rose victoriously, and is coming suddenly. Now tell me, what think you of Christ? You know, we have four gospel writers. Let's bring them into the pulpit for a moment. Matthew. Matthew, what do you think of Christ? Oh, I think the Lord Jesus is the sovereign. Uh, Mark, come on into the pulpit. Mark, you tell us, what do you think of Christ? Oh, I think Christ is the servant. Look, what do you think of Christ? Oh, I think that Christ is the Savior. Come on, what do you think of Christ? Oh, I think Christ is the Son, the sovereign, the servant, the Savior, the Son. What think ye of Christ? Tell me tonight. Do you ever think of him at all? Does his name ever invade your mind? Does his love ever touch your soul? Does his claims ever challenge your life? What do you think of Christ tonight? Do you think lovingly about him? Can you say tonight, I mean it, my Jesus, I love you. 
Do you think thankfully about him? Is there gratitude in your heart tonight because he saved you from the depths of your sin? Do you think joyfully about Christ when you think of Christ tonight? Are you joyful? Over two centuries ago, a wealthy landowner by the name of Sir Roger Bolter, he visited a traveling fair in the city of Colchester. And as he went around the stalls, he suddenly heard the market square clock began to chime and like a child he counted it and he couldn't believe his ears the clock chimed 13 times couldn't believe it and he thought that he had miscounted until a small coloured chap standing next to him verified the happening by saying the clock struck 13 and that night Sir Roger Bolter went into his house and he wrote in his diary the incident that had taken place. Two months later, he woke in the middle of the night and a voice seemed to say to him, go to York. He wasn't a man given to such voices and the next day he saddled his horse and set off for the city of York. And as he arrived in the city of York, there was a large crowd there gathered outside the courthouse was the last day of a trial. And he entered the courthouse and he sat in the gallery and he, he listened to the proceedings as they took place. A man was found guilty. And when he was accused, he was asked if he had anything to say. And he said to the judge, he said, Sir, your honor, I'm innocent. I was more than 100 miles from the crime on the day it took place. I was in the city of Colchester. Another man and I heard the clock strike 13 times. If only I could find him, he would vouch for my innocence. Immediately, Sir Roger Bolter stood up and said, Now I see why I had to come to York. He explained who he was. He went up to the judge and showed the judge his diary, which he always carried with him. And the accused man was declared innocent on the basis of Sir Roger's testimony. And as he and Sir Roger walked out of the court that day, the one who was accused turned to his benefactor and he said, Sir, sir, you're the only man in the world that could have saved me. My friends tonight, Jesus Christ is utterly unique. He's vital for your salvation. Indeed, Christ is the answer to your every need. Now tell me, what think you of Christ? Oh, I commend my Savior to you tonight. Ten thousand charms around me shine, but best of all, I know he's mine. Is Christ yours tonight? Oh, don't take another step along life's road until you come to know the Savior. Don't go out of this service tonight to a Christ rejecter's, a Christ rejecter's death, a Christ rejecter's grave, a Christ rejecter's coffin, a Christ rejecter's hell. Come to Christ. Come to Jesus now. What think you of Christ? It's the test. To try both your state and your scheme, you cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. Let's pray. Let's take that wee moment or two in the Lord's presence tonight.
just stilling our hearts. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. And you're not saved. And you have a new assurance of salvation. And maybe God has been speaking to your heart in recent months and weeks and days. My friend, tonight, your salvation depends. Your destiny depends on what you think of the Lord Jesus. Won't you come to him tonight? Won't you trust him? Thank God he's able. He's willing. He's here to see you. I'll be at the door to shake your hand as you leave tonight. In my hand, I'll have a little gospel booklet. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, and you'd like one of these booklets, I'll not embarrass you, I'll not buttonhole you, I'll simply give you the booklet. But my friend, tonight, if you're here and not saved, you ought to be concerned about your soul. You ought to think well of Christ. Come to him. Trust him. Make him yours this evening. Father, we pray for any and all in this building tonight and they do not know the Lord Jesus. We pray, O oh God, that you would have mercy upon them. Take your word tonight. By the Spirit of God, apply it to hearts. Bring someone to the footstool of Calvary this evening. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.